The I Am Man podcast is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves. Having come to Jesus moments with my level of just commitment to life, organization, and really authentically being who I am. One thing that I can say about the brothers that we've had on is that they are real. They are authentic. They are real men living in the real world, trying to become the best versions of themselves. And that's the realest that we can or any man can ever get. So I want to say big kudos to them. Yo, before we get started, I got a huge announcement. My book is officially available. Uh, It's available at www.roberthmarshall.com. It's a little brown boy. Um, I have it in English. English and in Spanish, yo. Um, so make sure you guys go ahead out there and get it. It's also an amazing uh, Christmas stocking stuffer. So get it for your family, get it for the little boys in your life. Um, those little boys are going to become grown men, and it's easier to uh, to uh, to put, create a whole child than try to fix a broken man. So yo, I'm excited about that. Yo, also listen up. I'm excited about it, and this is actually this week. Um, y'all been rocking with me and my boy Chris Boulder all month long, um, but we are going to actually be doing a virtual workshop. Um, it's called Silence the Virtual Workshop. It's going to be with myself, Chris, and Ashley. Yo, this is going to be a webinar for all survivors of sexual trauma um, and the people that love them. This is going to be December 19th at 10 a.m. Listen, all you have to do to join this webinar and be a part of it, all you have to do is join our Survivor Circle group on Facebook. You join that or you can go to my website www.iamaninc.com slash events. That's www.iamaninc.com slash events. Last but definitely not uh, not least, yo, we have been rocking with my boy Chris Boulder all month long. Yo, this has become actually one of my favorite books to read. Chris Boulder, he's the author of Broken. Um, Broken is an amazing book that actually inspired this whole month talking about life after incarceration. What does it look like for a man who has literally literally been torn to pieces to be put back together? again and try to make it in this world. So, yo, I'm excited uh, about this book. You guys can go grab it. It's available on his website. You can go to, let me make sure I got it. Um, you can go to, I know I got it. I know I got it. There we go. ChristopherBoulder.com. That's ChristopherBoulder.com to go grab his book, uh, Boulder Faith. Um, I love this guy. He's like a brother to me, but also I am excited. But before I bring every Everybody on tonight. Yo, I need y'all to do me a favor. I need y'all to like. I need you to share. I need you to go get your daddy, your uncle, your nephew, your mama, Pookie and them. Go share it on your Facebook. Start a group. Whatever you got to do. Go get the pastor too. Uh, I want you to go get them because we are going to have an amazing show tonight. I'm excited. We have another brother that's joining us that I love and I respect. Um, his name is Steven Jackson. Uh, 
I'm not going to uh, Steven Jackson uh, Before I, I go do what I was going to do Steven Jackson is an amazing Brother who is out here Changing the trajectory Of people's lives One day at a time Man um, he's, a, he's definitely A person that does not look like All that he's been through So, But I want to invite them on to the platform Yo and I want to say What's up Steve What's up Chris How y'all doing man What's good, man? What's cracking? What's up, Steve? Man, how you doing, my brother? Yo, what's good, man? I'm glad to have you on the show. Finally, man, I finally get Steve, the Steven Jackson on the show. How are you, man? I'm still learning. You still learning? What you learning, brother? Yes, what sir. you learning? Man, I'm learning that a 15-month-old is um, quite a handful. Oh, he, was, he, was, he was getting yeah. it in today. Oh yeah, man. That's I believe me. I understand that. Um, you know, I have little ones myself. So um, my amazing, beautiful wife. She, uh, my wife, yo. She is a, 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 a she's a hustler, bro. She's a worker. She's a hard worker. And uh, today she had to be to work early in the morning, and she got you know, and she's actually still working now. And so that left me with three kids: a five year old, a four year old, and a two year old. Uh, all day long And so You know I love my children But you know After a while You're like <laughs> And so uh, You know I, I thank God today For the ministry Of Papa John's I thank God For the ministry Of, of You know Shawarma And chick And being able To order out And you know Don't get it twisted I can cook But today Was just one of them days Where it just Wasn't happening But anyway I'm glad to have you on Steve But I'm also glad To see my bro again what's good Chris man I'm here in the building what's cracking good you, you, you got your coffee this time bro you was you was about knocked out on me last time I'm here I'm ready I'm I'm live and in color. You live in color. Are you live in color? Yo, so Steve, let me just give you a quick recap. We have been talking about life after incarceration. And bro, Chris, man, tell them we've been having some amazing conversations, man. Yeah, we've been having some dope stuff, man. Some good content, man. And the past couple of weeks, man, brother's been sharing. We've just been pouring out from the heart, man. Steve, we've just been pouring out from the heart, man. Some transparency, some, some real life situations, some stuff we've experienced. And last week, we had my man's on here and um he's just been pouring out from the heart and it's just been real man i'm excited to hear what you got to say what's 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 laid on your heart and you're just going to take it from him what you think man i think it's good yo to be honest the response from last week was crazy we had a, a, a young lady um who messaged me and asked us to talk i'm gonna just put this out here she asked us to talk about um life uh for the mate of the person who's been incarcerated um, We've talked to Steve and I alluded you to that And she you know She left a detailed message um, And so I was just moved man And so for all the people Whose mates Or significant others Are in prison Are incarcerated Yo we hear you We see you We recognize you um, And we uh, We humanize Your experience And we want to say We will honor you And acknowledge uh, Your questions today Alright 
Yes, sir. So I'm excited, man. So, man, let's hop into it. So, Steven Jackson. Now, listen, Chris, I got to say, having Steven on here, you see he got the gray patch in the front. Yo, he, it, yo, he, that, this is that dude. Like, he, I, 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 I tell him mine, dude, bro. <laughs> this, I give you all faith. He, he's that dude. He's the one that's, he got the numbers, he got the stats, he got the research, man. But before, I, it's enough about me talking, man. Tell us, who is Steven Jackson, man? Um, I am the youngest son of Arthur and Shirley Jackson. Um, there were many that came before me: uh, Andrew Jones, Celia Jones, Frederick Arthur, Arthur Frederick Jackson, Lafayette, or myriad of others who preceded me before I got here. Um, but I am a product of Arthur and Shirley um, Jackson. Shout out to Doctor Celeste, Woo-hoo. my amazing wife. Yeah, who, um, is due in April the second. Um, so she's 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 spinning all the plates and doing it very well um, in the interim. But yeah, we're we're expecting in in in, in April, um, and we're, in, we're really really anticipating that. So um, that's who I am. All right, shout out to Z- shout out to Zayden, um, my oldest and um, my youngest now, Stephen Junior. Who if I hear it if I hear it correctly he's washing his hands in his face um right now and he's about to retire because because he took a late nap so shout out to steven good man well thank you also shout out to our girl right now uh ashley nicole cook she 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 watching yo uh we 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 love you ashley we appreciate all the work that you do um so steven man what what um, I want to ask because you are all of that and you are you're a professional man. You are a, a well-educated brother. You are, uh, you're working on becoming a therapist. Your wife, she got a doctorate degree. Uh, man, what uh, what is your journey? Um, what is your journey? What is your experience with being incarcerated? And what is your description of prison? Um, so. Uh, this past July marked 10 years um, since I was released from greater confinement, um, a title that I attribute to Neely Fuller Jr. Um, in 1998, I was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Uh, and at the time, at that time, that would mean that I would need to complete 12 and a half years. Um, I completed 12 due to receiving six months good time that I was eligible for. Um, but while I was away, I completed two associate's degrees um, because the bachelor's program was extracted from the Illinois Department of Correction, the IDOC, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I also completed four certifications, one in computer-aided drafting, electric technology, culinary arts, as well as cosmetology. Taught myself Spanish um, by watching telenovelas. <laughs> um, I also taught myself how to write with my left hand, which brings me to um, I journal um, for 11 of the 12 years um, while I was incarcerated. And um, just because I like the word ambidextrous, I decided to learn how to write with my left hand since I wrote every day um, and, and and became really well at doing that. Um, I also started a spoken word program, a book club, um, and just a, a myriad of other things, just uh, uh, using my time constructively. Uh, and my description of prison, um, as I mentioned earlier, I consider it greater confinement because the reality is since I've been home for these past 10 years, I'm realizing that um, people are confined, even though they appear to be free. Mm. Um, so 
this is lesser confinement where we are now. Um, so prison, I consider greater confinement um, because there are more constraints, uh, physical constraints. Um, they, they, they try to perpetrate mental constraints, but um, depending on how, how, how strong your mind is, that, that may not um, work out. Um, so there are many variations of being confined, prison being a greater one. Mic drop. <laughs> Mike, I told you, Chris, this is another level tonight, brother. This is another level tonight. Yo, so when when you say that we are that you find out people are confined outside of prison, what do you mean? The program. People are programmed. Um, we are programmed to do what what um people tell us to do. As I found out more information, um, just like, uh, you know, have you watched the the, the Netflix um, special, The Social Dilemma? No, nah, but I got to check that out. Have you seen it, Chris? Check that out. Um, I, I was at a wedding of a friend of mine and was sitting, was, was standing in a group of um people and they were talking about how they sell information and can pretty much dictate what people do and when they do it. So, Mm. um, you know, there's no coincidence when you talk about something around your device or around something that ad for that tends to pop up. Um, so, you know, the algorithms, um, uh, some people call them. Um, but that's why I say we are uh, confined. That's, that's on the broad, on a bigger scale. Um, but on the smaller scale, um, people are, are accustomed to doing some of the same things and are scared to, um, go outside of, um, uh, the norms. Uh, you aren't one of those people. I know you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> people who are entrepreneurs are different type of people because they bet on themselves. Um, so uh, there, there aren't that many people um, that I'm aware of that bet on themselves. Um, so that's what I mean when people are in um, uh, lesser confinement. Dude, so I didn't know that you were sentenced to 25 years. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, yeah. And you served as much time as you did. Dude, um, that's insane. And you've been out for you've been out for 10 years now. 10 years, over 10 years. Over, yeah. to, over 10 years, man. And as you yeah. look back and I know I'm kind of drifting from our questions, but as you look back, um, what what kind of what is your thought process now? I'm you know, what is your thought process? <laughs> Thought, speech, and action. I think um, I speak about it, and I, and I make action. Um, that's my process. Um, you know me. You know me fairly well. Um, I like to. As I said earlier, I'm still learning. I don't know it all. I am on the eternal pursuit of, of, of finding out things. Uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a social scientist. I'm a scientist in many different areas. Um, but my thought process is do what needs to be done. Um, that's why um, in April I will be completing um, my uh, graduate degree um, and I'll be a LCPC. Yeah. Um, and will be um, a licensed clinical therapist. Yeah. Um, 
I, I am a licensed uh, realtor, so I, I practice real estate as well. Um, and I also have a business, Global Community Associates, a yes, consultant sir. agency um, around restorative justice and creating a culture um, of, 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 of engagement. Um, so um, I, I, my, my process is continue to evolve. Dude, evolving evolution is a big thing, right, bro? Uh, Chris, you just you quiet tonight, brother? I'm listening, man. I'm intrigued, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I I am, man. I'm intrigued, and I'm applaud on what this brother's success is prior to him coming home from prison. Because uh, me, to me, the first to five ten years speaks a lot, speaks volumes for someone who's been prior incarcerated from what they've come home and the work they've done. Um, and speaking on his brothers here, hearing his resume speaks volumes that he came home and his feet hit the ground running. So uh, I had some blips, though. I had some blips. I definitely had some blips when I came home. Uh-huh. Um, but that I, I used them as as uh, as an education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of blips, uh, that's what I want to tap into. I heard, I heard just a set. That's that's beautiful. That's good. I want to speak to the brothers just listening on your um, your transitions and your failures. How, how did you come back to those? How did you bounce back? How did, what was the motivation? What was your vulnerable moments like when uh, you were getting more no's and delays than you was getting yeses? How did you turn your no's into yeses? Uh, how did you, from the entrepreneurial standpoint, entrepreneurial standpoint, I see that not many people told you yes. So you opened your own doors. I, I have a saying of if no one opens, if no one, if there's no door, if there's no opportunity, build your own door. So um, how did you, uh, how did you motivate yourself, Stephen? Um, it's, it's just in me. Like I said, I'm the son of Arthur and Shirley Jackson. <laughs> um, yes, sir. It's been I come, you know, and you know, so, so to answer your prior question, um, I, I bounced back because I had, I, I was able to bounce back as I did because I had a support system. Mm, we've talked about um, that. A, a lot of people um, who come home, um, don't necessarily have that support system. They are paroling um, to uh, a community where they committed their crime, where they may have um, wronged or perceivably wronged someone and people may want vengeance for that. So um, some people go to those type of situations. And then there are people who committed murders or were uh, convicted of committing murders. I'm not going to say they were guilty or not, but they could may have um, been charged with murders and, and, and done time for, for murder um, while they were under the age of 16. And um, because of that, when they come home, they have to register as a sex offender and they have to check in. So um, because of that, there are some barriers that come up right. um, for people that are in that situation. And when I talk about um, parole, which is considered mandatory supervised release, MSR, that to me is double jeopardy um, because you have been sentenced to a time or you copped out to a time uh, amount of time 
But on top of that time, like me, for instance, 25 years, I did 12 years. And then up on top of that, uh, on top of that, when I come home, I am still a ward of the state and have to do mandatory supervised release, which is parole for three years. So I have to check in. I have to drop. I have to adhere to what my parole officers or conditions of my parole is. So that's double jeopardy. And what that does is it's a it's a leash that they can just jerk you right back into the system. And um, and what people don't know, and I don't know if you should uh, the conversations you've discussed this, but there is a price on each head of everyone in the Department of Corrections, um, which they get a grant for. Um, last I checked, it was 34000 per inmate. Um, so um, back in the 90s, um, when I got sentenced, um, the way they would play it would be they would give you 61 days because they don't get the grant money until after 60 days. So they would make you do one additional day just to make sure. And then they'll get that money that's allotted um, for the for the. Um, the person that's in greater confinement um, for that year. Um, and this person only did 61 days. So that's um, additional funds that they could misappropriate. I worked in the warehouse. I worked in officer's commissary. I worked in the several administration positions while I'm incarcerated. And y'all read about it. But um, there was so much dirt that I, I, I witnessed um, by um, the people who were in um, control of these systems. I, I actually I had a job of three people who would have made at least minimally forty thousand dollars annually, and I did three jobs as an inmate um, every day uh, while I was in greater confinement. So um, it, it's, it's 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 a real it's a real trouble. I'm gonna let you ask your questions, brother. Nah, go ahead, like, brother. You good? A lot of these things, a lot of these things will, will come up. You good, bro? I'm sorry. I said, Chris, you asked another question um, that I that I'm failing to recall right now. No, um, you you doing it, brother? You you flowing, bro? You answered the gist of it. <laughs> you you you're flowing, man. Yeah, I had I had a, I had I had support. I had parents. Yeah. I have siblings, um, and then the community um, came around me. Um, several and, and and I built I built that trust. Uh, I, that's all. When I came home, I donated my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was parking cars. My first came home, I was parking cars by um, shout out to Edmund Griffin on um, the valet service um, at, at Black Ensemble Theater. Shout out to Jackie Taylor, Stone, the whole crew at Black Ensemble on the north side. Um, yeah. For those who don't know about Black Ensemble, Jackie's an amazing person. Um, but um, I parked cars, bro, for cash um, and donated my time um, at Opar Township Youth Services. And uh, that's where I started doing restorative work in the, um, in the school system. Wow. Um, there I created a, a mentorship program um, uh, at the school um, for I ran it for about six years there. That's crazy, um, man. Before I transitioned. I, I got I donated my time though. I didn't I didn't get compensated. I was I was making money parking cars and in my additional time I worked for free. I created my value in the community. I wasn't doing it to do that. I was doing it because that's the that's the place where I committed my crime and I was paying the price for um for what I did and I and I and I, and I used my story as a cautionary tale for young people. Um 
who 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 occupied that space in Oak Park. Um, so that's 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 what I did, and eventually um, they saw value in what I did. I I, I I then became a contractor in the second year. In my third year, they created a position. I was part time, and in the fourth year, I was full time. And every position since I got fired from Express um, for nothing for my background, um, I I it was created. So before uh, I was the community youth advocate at Opar Township right. Youth Services, then I transitioned to the library right. um, where um, we were the fourth library to integrate social services in public libraries. Robert Simmons, shout out to Robert yep. Simmons, a great man. Um, uh, and David Sellup, the executive director, as well yeah, as the yeah, board yeah. at the Opar Public Library. Who are, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by the work that they're doing at the at this library where I'm at now. But um, I, I was a social services specialist as my second role. My initial role was a community um, resources specialist. And then I transitioned to the social services specialist. Then I transitioned to the teen services um, coordinator. And, and then I transitioned to the manager of teen services. None of these positions existed prior to uh, me occupying the space. And I'm currently um, building my team um, I just recently, my, my most recent hire just started Monday, no, the 10th. So that was whenever the 10th was, whatever today is, five days ago. Um, so wow. we're happy to have him on. But I, I donated my time and people saw value in what I did. Um, and eventually, um, that's I love, became. Man. Yeah, that's love, man. You, dude, you have an amazing story. I, 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 I'm gonna shift a little bit because I hear about your journey to prison, but I wanna, I think I wanna shift the conversation a little bit, if you don't mind, um, because you said some key things. I wanna throw these statistics out here, um, and because my main, one of my questions is for you know for Stephen and for Chris is you know we all understand. I want you. Well, I don't want to assume. I want you to be speak to the school to prison pipeline, um, the school to prison pipeline. And how do you think we, how do you think we can create solutions to inhibit um, from uh, black and brown students being filtered into um, um, greater confinement, as you call it? Um, some of the statistics that I, I reached for this week was that children whose parents are involved in the criminal justice systems suffer from psychological strain, um, antisocial behavior, suspension, expulsion from school, economic hardship, and are six times more likely to be involved in criminal activity. 32% of the U.S. population is represented by African-American and Hispanic uh, and Hispanics compared to 56% of the U.S. incarcerated population being represented by African-American and Hispanics. One out of every three, one of every three black boys born today can expect to be sentenced to prison compared to one out of six Latino boys and one of 17 Caucasian boys. Inmates are five times, inmates are five times more likely to be infected 
by HIV and than anyone else in the general population. Also, approximately 10% to 20% of inmates suffer from a series of mental illnesses, which is often made worse during incarceration. Another statistic out here, 66% of juveniles sentenced to death are people of color. Two thirds of their of the crimes committed involved a white victim. Another statistic, 65,000 Americans return to their communities from prison each year. About half of them will return to prison within a few years. Last one I'm going to throw out here. One in three African-American males will be incarcerated in state or federal prisons at some point during their lives. And at... And the rate is significantly higher for black men who do not finish high school. For Hispanic males, the rate is one in six. For white males, it's one in 17. I wanted to share these statistics, these statistics to paint the picture and give definition and, uh, and validity to the school to prison pipeline. Steven, can you speak to that? Um, I definitely can. Um, I, I definitely have to shout out my wife one one more time um, because I shared with you before um, she did her dissertation on the resiliency of children of incarcerated parents. Um, she used an asset asset based modality to assess this and to research this, um, and she has a personal story to accompany um, the reason why um, she conducted this extensive research. Um, so, um, not to minimize any of the the data that you that, that you shared. But um, and not to not to minimize um, your your children or your wife, because I know that um, I know your wife and I know your children, but specifically black people, people who consider themselves as black is what I will speak to. That's good. Um, That's fine. uh, Specifically, um, there is a concerted effort in in the nine areas of people activity, um, which are entertainment, education economics, labor, law, religion, politics, sex, and war. Um, Those nine areas were created by Neely Fuller Jr. I don't know if you're familiar with Francis um, Welsing, who wrote Mm -hmm. the ISIS paper. Um, This is the predecessor to her. This is where she she added the 10th area, which is health, I think it was. Um, She's a native of Chicago, Woodline. Um, But in those nine areas, there is a concerted effort. So we can name anywhere you look in any of those nine areas, you will see racism, um, white supremacy. And I use those two terms synonymously. And uh, my definition for racism, white supremacy is a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe who classify themselves as who, who classify or classified as non-white. Um, so that sums it up for me. Um, so you would, when I was just talking to the, the, the school to prison pipeline, that's just in general, in any area, this, the, 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 the reality is, um, we haven't reconciled, um, what this country has done to the native people. Um, so, 
we're talking when I when I talk about people consider themselves as black, the the the, the crazy thing about that is people the natives of this land look like you and I. Yes, sir. If you if you look at the Racial Integrity Act of 1924, um, that is what is considered a paper genocide, um, where people who were considered Negroes, Native Americans, were all just classified as black. So what it did, it minimized the heritage of these people and it put us all, and I know every black person I know talk about Indian, Native American in their family. And so uh, I said all that to say, you're talking to a lost people, a people who don't know who they are, who associate themselves from a continent, nothing against Africa, but associate themselves from a continent which they don't know this is their origin. If this is their origin, we are, a lot of us are natives to this land and this is our land. Um, So just think about it, really think about that. If you really think about that, what had to happen when they got here, they saw this, How how could people who aren't from this land tend to this land, plant crops. How do they know how to do these things? You know, you don't go, you don't, I, I can't go somewhere where I'm not from and know how to tend to the land. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I, I can go on and on about how, the, how, how, how that, that is, to get to answer your question, there's a, there's a something going against us. Not to say that we cannot overcome this. Um, I don't want to be gloom, gloom and doom um, because I, I just don't believe in that. I just I really don't believe in that. I believe in the power of resiliency. I believe in the power of community um, because that's the way we got down prior to um, people coming here and taking from us. And that's why I do restorative practices um, because it's, or, it, it, the origins are, are in the people of these lands, the native Aboriginal people um, from the lands. Um, it's the way we, 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 we occupy space, the way we dealt with each other. Um, so it's, it's deeper than just the surface of the school to prison pipeline is really, really, um, is really deeper than that. So I don't want to, um, I personally don't just want to focus on that because it's bigger than that. It's well, all, you speak know, to it, brother. You, yeah. I said, no, go ahead. Speak to it. <laughs> no, I, I just did. I, yeah. I, that's, that's my response. That's my response is bigger. And, and the crazy thing is um, when I was in greater confinement, the OGs, the old heads, older brothers, they would, they would, you know, and I heard it all the time, man, you know, uh, the black man, the black man, man, they are always trying to keep a brother down. The system was designed against us deliberately. And I used to hear it and I'll receive it, but I didn't internalize it until one day when I was coming off a visit from my parents and, you know, they, they had to drive five and a half hours to, to visit me. Um, and so um, when they got there, I, I was I had a great visit and I looked around me on the visit and I saw a bunch of other people that looked like me mm. and had family members, spouses like you were talking about, children, people who were impacted. And I realized, like, just personally, I'm looking how my family was impacted and then I'm looking at these other people, how their families are impacted um, by being in this situation. And then as I was walking off of my visit, I walked past the child. I looked in there and I saw a whole bunch of more people that looked like me and realized the majority of people there looked like me. I knew this, but like, it was just a moment. And from that moment on, I started um, 
doing extensive research on, on, on people who identify themselves as being black um, and started coming to some conclusions mm. um, about some things. So um, people can dispute all they want, but the proof is in the, in the, in the data. It's in the um, data. It's in the skin. <laughs> the DNA footprint is in the skin, man. As you, you, you talked about, what you 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 looked around and you saw everyone most people look like you what was one thing that you what is one thing that you can't forget about when you think about prison one thing that i can't forget yeah and let me just give uh, uh, context to this question. Um, we had Alex on last week, and Alex, one thing he said he couldn't forget, he said he couldn't forget uh, the quietness and the and the feeling, the feeling, overwhelming feeling of loneliness, being surrounded by people, but literally seeing every minute on the clock. He said that's what he couldn't forget. And um, Chris answered that question a couple of weeks ago, um, and he talked about what he couldn't forget. And so I'm curious for a, a brother of your caliber, of your educate, of, of your um, uh, of your uh, caliber, what what is. What was one thing that you can't forget or one thing that you can't forget about when you think about prison? Uh, my development. Mm. I can't forget about my development. Like, I wonder if I could be the person that I am today if I hadn't ever went, gone through what I, what I, what I went through. Um, all the other answers are relevant as well. Um, there was times and I look back as I read through um, my journals, I have volumes and volumes of of, 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 of handwriting um, and experiences that I had um, while in greater confinement. So I look at it and realize like, it's tough looking at it. Cause I was like, man, I was lonely. Mm. The things that I was looking forward to, um, the small things. Um, but I guess, the fact that anything could be taken away so you didn't really get attached um, to much. Um, I remember I bought a pair of jeans <laughs> uh, from someone. Um, the jeans were like, jeans were like, I don't know what the jeans are now. Like, I don't know what the style are, is right now or what the, are the expensive jeans now. But like, they, they were the top of the line. If you had jeans, like you were... You had something, a commodity. Um, like after I bought them, um, they were taken away from me by an officer. Um, they, they started doing compliance checks where they would come in your in your cell. And if things went in the morning, like 6 a.m., well, let me see. Was it 6? I can't recall what the time was, but they would come in early in the morning Um and uh, if your box wasn't under, you gave you a, uh, maybe four by three box, um, four by three by two box that you had to push under your bed, it had to be under your bed. And then they gave you a legal box where you just were able to have paperwork in there. Um, and if you had anything else in there, they were confiscated. If you had something on top of your box, like you had to fit everything in your life in these two boxes. Wow. And if it didn't fit in there, they would take it. You know, um, so um, I learned not to be attached to, to, to certain things. So like now in life, um, that's something that I carry now. Like I'm not attached to much because it can go at any time. It could be taken away, it's even life. 
You wait. So you said your whole that was deep, and I want to go back. You said that, uh, Chris. I don't know if you're talking to us, but you're muted, bro. Uh, <laughs> he said you said that your whole life was in two boxes. How did that feel? So. When you operate in the system, there are certain norms. And because everybody else had two boxes, it was the norm. So it felt like the norm. Like people make a super, super big deal about um, prison. But like I said, people in prison to this day, like here, like my neighbors, like I don't know about my neighbors, but like people around you are in prison way way deeper confinement than than I was I was free you know I meditated I I learned yoga I read hundreds of books I educated myself so when I when I my when I first was um sent um downstate um I got into it with some people in, in, in um, Division um, 10 and um, they it was some people affiliated with them at the institution that I was at. So like I was, as I was walking around the yard, I saw some people looking at me like, and I was like, man, like, I'm gonna have to handle my business cause like, I, they just look like they own something. And so, um, Come to find out when the person came up to me, he had started to ask some questions, what division was I in? And like, so I already knew where this was about to go. So I was, before I even could, my body could react, um, the person that was talking to me told me who he was and a guy um, knew me and said I was a good brother. And, you know, uh, it was this, this person became an ally. Um, so he was actually the chief of the, of the organization that I was affiliated with. And I didn't know, I heard of him, I heard of his name, but I didn't know who he was. And so I was on three gallery. He was on five gallery. Um, and those are the tiers. They have the even side and the odd side. And I was, he was on the gallery above me. Um, so, um, he told me to, um, come by a cell, um, to, uh, the next day. So I came by a cell, told me to sit on his bed. I'm like, I heard stories about putting your cakes on somebody else's bed. We talked about it. So I heard stories about it. So I, man, I, the dude has security. So when you have status, you, you, you walk around with um, people. Some people do, but like some people don't. But like if you have status, you have people sometimes that are your personal security that walk with you to, to keep you safe. Um, so he had people at his at, at the door, two guys at the door and him, me and him in the cell. So I'm just like, so I sat down <laughs> and he started talking to me, like going to church on me, like, man, look, I wish I could be you. And I was like, I'm like 22 at the time. I was like, I was like, why? He's like, man, like to be your age and to have the opportunity in front of me and not have to govern over men. Um, so, you know, I was sitting there listening to him. He was like, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to 
uh, I know he knew how much time I had and everything. Like and, you know, I had a, I had a, I think I had a red, I had, I had a blue ID. People with red ID. Right, the color ID you had when you're behind the wall, and when I talk about behind the wall, you're in maximum security. The um, higher your flight, your your flight, your flight risk. Um, so some people, people who had life had like orange. Uh, uh, ID. So he, he had a red ID, and he was like, um, "I want you to um, stay in school your whole bit. I know you got um, twenty five years. Stay in school." He's like, "You know why?" I don't know why. He's like, "You, you, you, you fill up the gaps." You know, so when you when you apply for a job, you can say, "I was in school during these time." Wow. And I was like, "Wow." Okay. Like, and so when you think about a gang chief or someone, like you don't think of a person, I, most people don't think of a person that's going to sit down and give you knowledge. Like, and, and, and he, I looked at, I look at him as an elder and the elder defined by me is not necessarily age. Um, and this is the way the native Aboriginal people um, look at elders as that someone who has knowledge, someone who has wisdom and someone who has respect from the community. So this man was respected. He had the knowledge and he had the wisdom and he bestowed it upon me. And so he like uh, gave me a whole bunch of other gems. So the next morning I get a call pass to my door that I didn't put in for and I Jackson to the library. And I'm like, Jackson to the library. I'm like, All right, so I get up, put my stuff on, boom. I go to the library. Like, Dude put me on a call pass to go to the library. And the first book that I checked out that day was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Lord Jesus. The first book that I read when I was in um, Joliet. Um, And the book changed my life. Can I can I yeah. tell you, can I tell you something about that, bro? This is this is God telling me to read this doggone book because when over the last now I'm a avid reader. I am an avid reader. And um I did I broke my reading habit one when I picked up Chris's book because normally I got an array of books. I saw Chris, but I'm like, hey, let me order that book, read it. But I'm reading right now the four I'm uh reading right now uh the four agreements. Um, love that book. I'm reading the four agreements. I'm also reading president Obama's, uh, new book. Um, <laughs> we can talk, we could talk about that. We could talk about chapter six dude. in particular. Dude, I'm reading that That's book. That's a whole nother show. Dude, I, oh, I, I hadn't gotten there yet. So don't ruin it for me yet. Hey, hey it's nothing to ruin. What? It's nothing to ruin, bro. Like, yeah, I, I I feel really strongly about it, and we'll talk offline. And 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 that that's my issue with what he did. Yeah, we can talk offline about matters of us, me and you. We don't have to put it on the public stage where millions of people are going to read this and see another brother talking about another brother. If there's an issue, we can discuss it in private right. instead of public. Now, and yeah. And, and and yeah, so now I gotta go. I gotta go skip to chapter six so I can. Uh, no skip, no skip. But I, I was telling you, I'm reading. I'm so I'm reading a lot of these books, and uh, this book. This is the fifth, sixth time I have somebody has brought that book up in conversation. 
literally within the last couple of weeks. My wife started reading it at her job. So she's doing whole presentations on it. Um, at my job, I'm in a, uh, a, a manager's cohort. They're going through the book as well. I'm paying attention, but I'm not paying attention. And then, you know, I had a conversation with one of my therapists and he's like, yo, this is a great book. And like, and, and here you are again. And I'm like, maybe this is the, the, the beginning of the next for me, man. But remember Jonah? Yeah. Oh, man, don't call me John. Oh man, no, why, I didn't, I didn't call why you? Why you? Why you? Why, why, why you doing this, man? Like, oh man, last week, yo, they laid it thick in here, and I think this week um, has been is this week has been insightful and has been deep, man. I I appreciate who you are, Stephen. Um, the wealth of knowledge, the wealth of wisdom, um, yeah. really. Dude, like he's one of those people that, you know, Stephen, we've known each other for quite some time, but I don't think I've ever had the chance to just sit down and listen to you talk. I haven't had the chance just to sit down and listen to you. And I think this is the first time that I've been able just to listen and not be preoccupied with other things that I have to get done while you're in the room. And I'm telling you, you've blessed me. You 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 bless me, man. Um, really quick, so we we it's already been fifty two minutes since we've been on here. Um, Steve, um, what is one thing you would tell a young brother who maybe is about to get out or who is out, um, just got released and he's looking to rebuild his life? What's what's what what, what nuggets would you give him? Be as selfish as possible. And, and for me, uh, being selfish is uh, looking out for yourself, but not at the expense of another person. Um, that is very important because there will be people like when we come home, especially after doing a long bit, we are glowing. We are full of energy. We are swole. Our minds are clear. We are the cream of the crop. Um, people will see that and want it and will pull you and um, you have to self-care is essential you have to take care of yourself first um, that's what I would tell them and I, I tell them more I would talk to them more deep, deeper about it deep, deeply about it but um, before before I go I want to share one thing on one another book oh, by yeah. a brother Omar Yamini you remember, I don't know if you remember brother Omar um, but the name of the book is What's Wrong With You What You what you, your children and students need to know about um, my 15 years of imprisonment from age 20 to 35. Personal friend of mine. Yeah. Um, brother. He has a curriculum that is attached with this and he's in several school systems throughout Illinois um, and out the country. Omar, you mean he did 15 years um, and the institution that I parole from um has several everyone that I know um, from that institution and I did a study uh, with them in my graduate program as well as I did a studies in my undergraduate program um, on, on, on these topics but um, brothers are out here with businesses and they're doing big things like is at the, I need to pull the study up, but high 90% how um, of them are successful, have their own business, have homes, 
business, multiple businesses. Um, and, and, and the reason is, um, and I attribute it to, and there's, there's multitudes of data on this, is um, vocational programs. Right. Um, uh, college programs. Um, academic programs as well as vocational programs uh, are the key to 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 um, eradicate um, recidivism. Um, and it's curious that the that the Illinois Department of Corrections pulled the bachelor's program out of the out of the system. And, I, and we know why these people that who 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 work at these places are um, white. Um, and their their family it's, it's a family they have a family history of employment. Like, uh, what does Dixon put out? What does Centralia put out? What does Taylorville put out? What does Menard put out? We can name these towns. These towns are known for prison as prison towns. This is the industry in the town. This is what gets people paid in the town. They have no product coming out of there at all. Um, the business is incarcerating people who don't look like them. I'll tell you a quick story um, about an officer who um, I rotated with officers a lot because I was an officer commissary um, and uh, officer uh, in particular um, said, man, something different about you, Jackson. I'm like, man, ain't nothing different. He's like, man, you don't wear your pants down, blow your butt. You don't use a ton of profanity. You don't this, that, and just went down a list of things. You're not loud. This, that, and that. What's different about you? I'm like, man, there's nothing different about me. I was like, why would you think that, like, Think something different about me. Like, man, I look around me. Like, I black people don't live. I don't. I, I live. My community look. I was homogenous. Everybody looks like me. Um, and the only time I have encounters with black people is on TV. Mm. And when I come to work, and a light bulb went off for me, it was like that was some real stuff. Like. If I was in his shoes, I'd probably think the same thing about black people because he has no context mm. or relations with black people beyond his work environment, which are uh, people uh, who are in greater confinement uh, and TV, which characterizes us. Right. Um, so um, that was a, that was a light bulb moment for me um, about how white people look at black people. Um they have no context. Some of them have no context. Uh, but a ton of these brothers are out here doing their thing, brother. Like, a ton of them are out here really, really, really doing it. And um, people, is misconceptions about um, prison. Um, I've never had any encounters uh, of being um, sexually assaulted while in prison or even bore witness to any of those things. Um, I worked in the placement office where uh, I moved inmates uh, around. I was able to uh, put people in cells. Inmates shouldn't have that position, but I had I had a skill. I could type. I could do several things that they put me in this position. So I would I was able to see there was twenty two hundred people in that institution, and I was able to see um, certain criteria, certain things about people who were put in the cell. I couldn't put people who were vulnerable. People who were vulnerable were people who had been sexually assaulted, and. I rarely ran, and, and I was in Dixon, um, was where I paroled. And Dixon, for those who don't know, was it was a mental health facility um, before it became a prison. Um, it was a residential mental health facility a number of years back. Um, so 
before it became a, um, a, a co-ed institution and it just became a male institution. But I can go on and on and tell you many, many, many stories, but um, pr- prison um, or greater confinement was one of the best experiences that ever happened to me because I made it that experience. You know, there were several pivotal moments. I can go down a list of, of pivotal moments and I share with you a few that really changed to change my mind state um, um, while I was there. And it's, it's a prison, a greater confinement is what you make it. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to tell myself it's a fine line and I tell people it's a fine line. When you're in prison, you can't get into prison culture. And when you're in prison, you uh, a greater confinement, you can't get into the world culture, worried about what's going on in the world. Because um, you have to walk that fine line of being conscious of what's in the world, being conscious of what's going on in this culture. And if you're able to walk that line, you can come out alive um, and you can come out sane. Um, we can we can touch on that. Uh, mental health. Um Dixon had half of the institution was um, people who were um, special treatment centers, what was called STC, um, where people who had mental uh, health issues were being abused by by um, by people who weren't trained. These are officers; they weren't they are mental health professionals. Um, so, like, we can go, just I can go on and on about the mistreatment, the misappropriation of funds, the double dipping. Um, yeah, many things went on in prison and greater confinement, but I'm happy to be here. Um, I appreciate you you're inviting me out um, to the show. Uh, it's nice to nice to meet Brother Chris over there. Um, I'm glad that you, you, you have this platform so we can share this relevant information um, to people who don't know and have misconceptions because that's the way the media, because a lot, it's the same thing with the, with the white boy. A lot you 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 don't know about prison um, because you've never been. People who've never been don't necessarily know don't necessarily know what it's like. And when they look at the images on television, the first thing they do is talk about um, don't drop the soap and stuff like that. Like is 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 comparable to a menstrual show, like. They go to the super extreme. Not that these things don't happen, but they go to the super extreme. My brother, you see, you see, I, you see, Isaiah. I see Zay out here, boy. What's man, up, man? That's my guy. That's my that's guy my too. Guy I love right that dude, there, man. man. That's a good brother right there. Shout out to Isaiah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, it, it, misconceptions about um, what 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 greater confinement is, um, and you'd be surprised, bro. His brothers running Bible studies, ministers in that boy, like it's, it's doctors in that boy, people doing amazing things with, with other young men and building young men and equipping them. Um, so when they do um, get home. Um, uh, they can they can they can appropriately function. Um, this is one particular brother. Uh, his name Barnett Carney. Uh, he was a he was a mentor of mine. Uh, he's doing great things now. Um, but like help develop me and get me um, at a moment where I was um, not. Um, I lost faith in people. You know what I mean, and then. Um, he came along and was like, "Man, like, why?" You, he, he called me out, like, "Man, that that's not even you." 
you know, I don't even know why you carrying it like that because that's not even you. You know what I mean? And like, really, there was one another pitiful, pivotal moment. So there's brothers like that that's out there pouring into other brothers and then helping them develop. Um, so like the misconception that you see on these TV shows and go on Netflix and look at these shows, I guess it's, it's appalling. I don't even patronize those, those, those shows. I don't, I don't look at them. Um, but yeah, there are, there are a lot of misconceptions about what goes on. Yo, I, I want to say this to both of you, Chris and Steve. I'm over here shaking and baking because I feel the power of these words transforming me as you guys are talking. From last week, from from Chris, since we started, you know, the beginning to now, you know, I just thought we would get good content and be good conversation. But I didn't expect to the, you know, it speaks to the power, you know, what, and maybe because, you know, the four, uh, the, the book that I'm reading now, um, the four uh, agreements talk about the power of your words, the power of the word and how the ability to create and give life. And um, man, these words are creating a new, it's, it's restoring something that I lost. If that makes sense, it's restoring something that I lost. It's building in me. Uh, I feel like, and I'll say it like this: is I feel like you know, Steve, you grew up in church. Uh, I think you grew up Kojic, or uh, you grew yeah, up. That's where we started. We that's started. Where we started. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Chris, uh, and Chris grew up apostolic. So uh, he grew up holiness. So I feel like I'm having altar moments within my heart. Like real talk I feel like I'm being Bought to the altar And I'm being Renewed I'm being revived I'm being cleansed I'm being And Just the acknowledgement uh, One thing And I, I'm between Trying to facilitate And tears And when I'm talking about tears Is because My soul Is bearing witness To the words That are coming out Of you guys mouth And um, It's powerful it's powerful because, you know, for me being a traveling evangelist and traveling preacher for a long time, you know, I'm accustomed to the strings, the organ, the drums, the singing. Um, and in this conversation, I'm feeling and I'll, I'll even say it. I'll say um, the power of God really transfer the, the creative power. Um <laughs> Transforming the inside of me It's crazy we're talking about Imprisonment we're talking about incarceration But even through your conversation I feel freedom Like I, I'm I feel um, Shackles being loose I feel mindsets being loose I feel um, um, Self-defeating thoughts being Loose last week man they talked about um, They talked about discipline and, and Chris you know and Alex talked about their how you know How they keep their stuff and whatnot and even Hearing you tonight man Talk about so many of the things you Have um, my soul's Bearing witness with it and is 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 giving me life. It's it's definitely giving me life. And I think um, just to hear you talk about the freedom and the endurance and the breakthrough that some oh, so many of these brothers are having once they get out. I think, uh, and I'll say this because um, you know, Chris, we're coming to the end of the series. Not to you know, coming up on a couple. I think we got one or two more sessions. But I think for me, Stephen. <laughs> Where I've been confined is I always thought that one, 
one, I'm also, I'm a biggest advocate for education, but I always thought that my education was equivalent to my worth. And the more education I had, the more worth I had. But then also on top of that, that my level of worth was predicated upon the type of institutions that I worked for, that I was hired, that these things added value to me. So I could say, yes, I'm so-and-so, I have these degrees and I work for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, lately I've been feeling and discerning and uh, should have been listening to my wife from the top, from the, from the beginning. And I told Chris this last week, I've been feeling this call to really launch deep into this work and launch deep into this, uh, this thing. And I can't believe I'm saying this publicly, uh, to launch deep into this work, uh, dealing with men, dealing with ministry, dealing with so many other different things. And I've been afraid. I've been really afraid. And now I'm seeing that this fear has been institched in my soul and in my spirit to, um, and to keep me confined because I think it's bigger than my wife was upset because she's like, you just don't listen to me. You just don't listen to me. And I don't think it wasn't listened to her. Maybe I couldn't hear her because fear was blocking me. I heard fear louder than I heard her. I heard fear louder than I heard faith. I heard fear louder. And it's like, if I do that, what value will I have? <laughs> like, you know, uh, what value, and these are the best. So I hope my wife is listening because she was really pissed that I, that I didn't listen to her. But I think, um, you know, uh, I realized, I, uh, oh, thank you, Isaiah. See, this is why I love Isaiah. Isaiah was my assistant for years, man. I miss him. Um, one day I walked into my office. I'm a dean at an uh, institution. And I posted, I walked literally into my office. This is the biggest office I've ever had. I got two offices. And I'm talking about I got a big screen TV on the wall, Chris. I got like, I got a whole, uh, uh, I got a whole uh, desk that like a whole executive desk that you can write on with marker. I got a whole uh, uh, space for my staff, um, this extensive table, everything, windows, everything. Nice office. And I walked and I, they asked me how I want to decorate it. So for the first time, I took all of my degrees, all of my certifications, and I and they hung up, up on the wall from the top to the bottom of the wall. And I'm not in there often because of the pandemic. But this past week, last week, you know what happened, Stephen? You know what happened? I walked in and my degrees had fallen off the wall and the glass was shattered all over my uh, all over my um, furniture in my office. I felt and heard in my spirit. Uh-oh. I'm destroying or I'm or I it, it was essentially the message was that I felt in my spirit that I'm destroying everything that you thought you needed to be who I called you to be and to do what I called you to do. And literally it shook me because it was like, I thought I needed the, the, the degrees and this is confession. Maybe this is Robert coming to the altar right now. Uh, the, I, I, I thought I needed the degrees. I thought I needed the, 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 the affirmation, the pat on the back. And more than anything, I thought I needed to be accepted by white intellectual educated people. 
to prove. You remember the conversation that we had, brother, when you were t- telling me you were going for the doctorate degree? What do we say? Nah, come on, nah, lay it on me. We didn't say it. I said it to you. Brother. What'd you say? I said, I said, degrees are work permits, brother. Expensive mm. ass work permits. Mm. Degrees are something that's going to tell people that you can hire him. You know, and that's exactly what it's a work permit, brother. Yeah. Like the reason why I'm getting this degree in April is because I have a plan for I have to play in this system. Right. In order to be a licensed clinical therapist, in order to make the impact that I need to have. There's a purpose for what I'm doing. Not to say that you don't have the purpose, but like um, degrees are expensive work permits. Yeah. So I'm paying for this so I can do this work. Yeah. Be licensed to do the work, but go ahead. I believe in you, brother. Like man, I, I, I know who you are. You know what I mean. Like your wife is a virtuous woman, and we can look at Proverbs thirty-one on that. Yeah, um, we can we can go to Proverbs eighteen. You were talking about the power of the tongue. I'm not the, the I can't quote Bible left and right, but I grew up in the church, so certain things are just in me. Um, but the power of the tongue, brother. You know, it's it's a common theme. Um, and, and, and all great authors, one of the greatest and most sold books in the world. Um, uh, I'm failing to recall right now, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, he talks about that. Like, that's another book you need to read. I've read it. Uh, talks, also, you know what it is. Yeah. Definite chief aim. You know what I mean? Like the power and the, the power of the tongue. It just reiterate, reiterates Proverbs 18:21. So like, you are an inspiration to me. You are an inspiration to many. Listen to your wife. I'm going to say that because my wife is the same way. She does, she's been telling me stuff and sometimes fear or whatever it is blocks um, me from hearing her. And then she get that I told that I told you so. I love that book too, brother Isaiah. You you said, no, wait, see, it's the stuff, it's the, Chris, it's the way he says stuff. He said, yeah. what, what, oh man, what did he say, Chris? He said, fear blocked me from hearing her. You said that. I, I know I said it, but. I'm trying to think. When he said it, you said that. But bro. then I heard you say it, and then it just hit me. <laughs> hit me again. How many, you said how many times has fear blocked us from hearing and seeing adequately? Like seeing clearly, hearing clearly. Oh, man. Uh, no, Les Brown. Um, I first heard um, false expectations mm-hmm. appearing real um, is, is what, what fear represents. Um, it's, it's our fear. It's our expectations. It's not even an actual thing. It's our yeah, expectation, man. our false expectations um, about what, what what seems like a reality when it's, Ooh, it's really just a, a figment of your imagination. Um and that's what's real. A lot of things we project um, into our lives um, because of the way we uh, the way we come in thinking about them. Um, and that's why I am the eternal optimist. You, I, 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 you know me, and you know you rarely hear me be pessimistic about anything. Anything. There is no reason. I remember when I lived in a five by seven box. You know what I mean. Like, and now I live in a home where my closet is the size of where I lived at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't tell me, like, I didn't manifest, um, you know, with the help 
uh, people around me, uh, what, what, what is now my life and my reality. Um, so I, I, I know what's, I know what's meant for you, my brother. You're on the leading edge. And, and, yeah, you're on the leading edge, my brother. Dude, I'm, I'm, y'all don't understand how shook I am over here. Isaiah, Isaiah knows me, yo. So Isaiah, I'm over here shaking and begging because I'm just like, I literally, I feel like I'm going through surgery right now. I feel like fear. I feel like doubt. I feel like rejection. I feel like, and Chris, we've alluded to some of these things. Yo, there's been this call and my wife is going to kill me, but it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm out here now. There has been this call for us to really launch out in this organization, for us to launch out in ministry. God's been speaking to us. Man, and we've been seeing and hearing the cries for it. Um, ministry that's uh, this ministry model that's cutting edge, this organization that we're, you know, that I have, I am man, to really develop and build out and really launch out. Um, and it's almost like talking to you guys has literally, I felt like the story of Lazarus, where it's where Lazarus is dead and. Um, and Jesus hadn't come by Jesus, you know, Jesus knew he was dead. Listen, I'm about, uh, here I am like a preacher about to take a text. <laughs> Jesus knew, uh, Jesus knew and had heard of Lazarus death, but didn't come immediately. And I never saw that text from Lazarus perspective. Lazarus is dead laying in the grave. But then all of a sudden he hears Jesus calling him out of the grave. Are you gonna send an offer and play around, my Listen, brother? No, I'm. I'm trying to keep. I'm. I'm trying to keep my composure because I'm like y'all. See, I'm light skinned brother, and y'all see these these tears starting to come out of my eyes. I, I. I. I'm waking up literally on this show. I'm waking up to revelation. I'm waking up to information. I'm, I feel like I'm being birthed into something new. Jesus calls Lazarus. From the uh, here you go here you go Isaiah Lord have mercy, um, <laughs> oh man Isaiah man this is my guy Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave Lazarus is laying in the grave Jesus already knows he's there Jesus is on his way but Lazarus is still laying there to the point where he is the where he has started. To decay, the soul has separated from the body. You know, in Jewish teachings, all that has happened. And out of nowhere, when Lazarus is dead, he hears his friend. He hears Jesus calling him. Lazarus, get up. Lazarus gets out of the grave because he hears the call. But what happens is he gets out of the grave but the people in one in one of the and one of the gospels, his family members or his people have to take the grave clothes off of him. It says, "Loose them and loose them and let him go." This is to get look. This is the preacher in me for real. This is the context of these conversations for me. I feel like I'm being released. From grave clothes, from garments that killed my identity, that killed my creativity, that killed my purpose because I thought I needed them. 
and through y'all and I that's man this is this is crazy this is and I ain't a crier yo I'm not not in per like I I this is <laughs> I'm, we talking about life after incarceration and I'm over here crying that's what it, that's a part of it it's it's uh, it's a part of it because look the the dichotomy of the story you just shared is that Jesus calls Lazarus but Lazarus wasn't asleep he was dead so he wasn't asleep bro look bro was knocked out dead he was dead and sank. So even you, when you said earlier that your wife is speaking to you, but fear is blocking from you to hear, that's a dead stagnant of the mind. Your emotional, your your faith is spiritually blocked from you to hear, cognitively hear her. And so that's Jesus calling you in a dead state. So now at this awakened moment in your life spiritually, you're beginning to hear. And now when Jesus called Lazarus out and people began to loosen him, that also goes to show you what Stephen shared earlier that we, you and I have talked about on this show. You got to have support. That goes to show there's a team that's going to help you loosen that because you've been looking at it all yourself. What am I going to gain from this? You said it earlier. What am I going to gain? That goes back to that self, that how am I going to do this? How am I going to work it out? Bro, God going to send those people, man. He's going to send the right people to connect with you. He's going to send the right team that's going to build you. He's going to send the right wife, which you already got, that's going to strengthen you. And you're just going to propel from here. It's going to take rubber. You're just going to go to the next level from here. You already got, I think you would remind, you remind me of myself. I told you that before. You was at a place to where I was when I built, when I planted my first place of where I'm looking around for bodies. And the, they were there, but I'm looking for something else more extravagant that's going to strengthen me. But man, the people was already there. I was just overlooking it because I was missing the, the I was listen, I was missing grade A. That was me. And that's you, man. You grade A. You already got it. It's already birthed in you. The seed has been planted. It's beginning to take root. It's sprouting. And you got deep root in you. The sun is shining on it. It's you you're rooted, so it's not gonna wither. Man, you got what it takes. You you're at a net, you're at another place to where you're growing and you're whatever God is calling you to you next, what you're sharing with us on the show. I'm just excited to be front row to see it, man. I, mean, I remember when he was in, in a situation where he was uh, in the middle of spiritual warfare. Like, it was tough. It, I know it was tough. And the only thing I could offer you was words at that time um, and prayers. My brother, and look at you now. You know what I mean? Yeah, look man. Look at you now. Like, in the moment, this is one thing I learned. This is, this is another lesson that I learned. And I say this all the time to my wife. Um, in the moment, Things seem insurmountable in the moment, and we can you we can we can go to the Lazarus story. He was dead. He was dead, like the brother said. Like, it, it, what, 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 where else you gonna go from death? That, that, that seems pretty insurmountable to me. But um, in the grand scheme of things, um, when you when you when you heard his name called, he rose up. So um, rise up, my brother. Yeah, man. Don't. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Don't start crying. Get it out. Do what you want to do. Yeah, rise up, my brother. Go and get it out. Oh, yeah, rise up, my brother. Man, hey, this brother lost a whole human. He lost a whole 80 pounds. 
Man, you're, you're, you're changing, you're shedding right in front of our eyes right, and growing right in front of our eyes, brother. Come on. Like, come on. Doing I'm cool. proud of you. I'm Do- proud of you. I'm proud. Yeah, I'm proud of this brother, man. Got them three young babies, got the amazing wife, got this ministry. But I'm proud of you. That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Rise up. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm about to have a late dinner, dude. Anyway, I I listen, y'all. Everyone who's on, I appreciate you guys. Yep, it's time to go. My camera done died. Yo, listen, I love you guys. Um, thank y'all so much for joining us tonight. We out. I can say so much. Y'all see, y'all catch the commercials on my book. All right. The I Am Man Podcast is produced by men for men. We are here to support men through their individual journeys to authentic and holistic manhood. We believe men play an essential role in securing the future of generations and deserve to be seen and heard. Our podcast is a safe space where men from all walks of life can come and process through life's challenges to become the best versions of themselves.